So we are in the middle of asking questions. And uh, if, if, are you, anybody is a, a country music listener? Who, who will admit to being new, new country, right? Not the old twangy stuff. New country. Who likes new country? Come on, more than that of you love new country. So if you listen to Like the Highway um, or New Country, the song, Forgive Me, I'm Just Asking, is on the top 20 or whatever playlist right now. I got it before they put it on there. So I want you to know that that's a great song. Forgive me, I'm just asking. And so they're, they're playing that lots of times. Just, you, know, you needed to know that, I think. So here, here's the question. And s sort of the other questions that follow for the next several weeks kind of all come from this. Because if, if this question doesn't engage us, the other questions really are kind of meaningless to us. So we will come back to this question as kind of the foundation. So we hopefully have established that it's, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions. You, you're, you're not going to be shamed. You're not going to be outed because you ask questions. One of the questions that many of us have is the question of the God of the Old Testament as compared to the God of the New Testament. Is it the same person? And I think Mike, a few weeks ago, helped us to understand that in the context, historically and culturally, um, the story of Abraham and Isaac is not a shocker as much as it, as it is to us, because there were some facets to that story that were very familiar in a child-sacrificing kind of a culture, actually. So we thought about that. And then last week, we thought about the Bible itself. Like, what kind of a book is that? And who gets to say what the Bible says, whether it's right or wrong, right? So there, there is a, a debacle this week among evangelicalism because a highly respected evangelical pastor, I won't mention his name, um, when they played a word association game, um, they said the two words Beth Moore. And he associated Beth Moore with these two words, go home. Well, that was a shock, and it was an affront to evangelicalism, and many, many people have stepped forward. But the interesting thing was that a whole lot of 75- and 80-year-old white guys who have written books, who are famous, snickered at that. And it brought back the question, who gets to say what the Bible means, because this author was essentially saying Beth Moore disregards the Bible because the Bible says women shouldn't be teaching. So he says, and he has a following, um, and it brings us back to the question, well, who's to, who's to know for sure what the Bible means? And we ask the question, whose book is the Bible? And I think we can, we can kind of nudge ourselves out of some prejudices by acknowledging that the Bible is everyone's book. Everyone starts fresh when they read the Bible. And God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who interprets the Bible to the human mind. Um, we're told in the scriptures that we're kind of set up to accept it and to believe it. Um, but again, it is not a book that someone has to interpret for you. And Vatican II was probably the, the 
the turning point when the world's Catholics began to read the Bible for themselves and didn't have to have a priest to interpret it for them. So as it has been well stated for the last few weeks, the person with the microphone is not the person who has all the answers. And that, again, will be the case today. As we talk about this one, why doesn't God just show up and prove that he exists? Wouldn't, it would save him a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? It would save us a lot of trouble. So here's a verse that I want us to just chat about for a minute. In Matthew 28, um, this is one of the last appearances post-resurrection of Jesus, and he showed up to the, to the 11, right? So these are the 11 faithful. They are the followers who have been with him from the very beginning, and Jesus has already appeared to them. Um, we had the, the little... Um, kind of hiccup with Thomas, who said, well, I'm not sure I'm just going to accept it because you say so, but there you go. Here's what we read, though, when he showed up to the 12. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. What do you think that means? And in what way is worshipping the opposite of doubting? And who of the 11 did not worship and what were they not doing when Jesus showed up there, right? So just try to imagine with the friends around your table what it is that was happening when 11 followers of Jesus who saw him alive after his death doubted when he appeared to them before ascending to heaven. What, what was exactly happening? Like, what were they saying? What were they doubting? Because if there was ever a situation where God just showed up and proved his existence, here it is, right? At least the existence of Jesus post-resurrection, risen from the dead, shows up right there beside you. Why would you doubt? What would you doubt? So just take a minute and chat about that. What exactly is it that they're doing when they doubt? I'm going to ask you your thoughts on that in just a moment. So chat at your table, two minutes. Turn to someone near you and say, I don't get it. Hopefully he'll tell us. So let's hear what you're thinking. What are they doing when they are doubting? Somebody give me a scenario. What are they doubting or how are they doubting? Seeing lots of hands and eager faces. Jesse. Uh, d diminishing their faith. So they're kind of reducing it from where it could be. Okay. So they're diminishing their faith. It's, it's okay. Yep, Susan. We were talking about how, like, it's so out of the ordinary for someone to come back to life. And so they, they can't believe that this actually happened, right? And so like, is it because we really wanted Jesus to come back that we're now imagining that this is true rather than believing that Jesus is physically there? Because why would he be? Like, this hasn't happened before. Okay. Surreal. It's just... Sylvie, sh shut it out. So when we doubt, we're opening ourselves up. We're opening the question prove it so for, because this sort of thing doesn't happen every day maybe we're fooling ourselves maybe we're seeing what's not there um forgive me i'm just asking is that really you or or what what else 
is, is going on. What are they doubting? What is it they're doing when they doubt? Always reminds me of a small group that Animus Mom was part of. And one night I was doing this sort of thing and she spoke up. She said, do you know the answer? I said, yes. She said, well, for goodness sake, tell us. I asked her to join another small group. <laughs> Not really. Lauren. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a crazy week. What they thought he came to do, he apparently didn't come to do. And then he died, and they have started to process their grief about that. And then he shows up again, and they can't make sense of it at all. Um, you know, maybe someone close to you dies, and you've got the funeral, you've done the interment, and they show up. It's like, well, you're spoiling my story, because my story of you was you died last week, and we buried you, and you're gone. So, And what is it that has appeared to these people as well, right? So at times they think it's a ghost. I think that's actually their first inclination is to say this is a spirit. Because Jesus says, well, go ahead and handle my body because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do, right? So, so some doubted. And then on the other hand, others among them worshipped. And I presume that just means that they were the happy group, right? They were just get over your questions. It doesn't matter why or what or how. He's here and we can worship him. So um, the, the term worship in the Bible usually is a physical expression kind of a term. It's a term that means they, they fell down or they you know, were prostrate before him. That sort of thing. They, they, just, they bowed down. They, they worshiped him. So they were just overwhelmed and yet some, however many the some was, doubted. They had questions. They had questions um, about what had happened. I wondered, do they have questions about whether this being before them really is the one that they had walked with for, for three and a half years or so? So l let's go a little bit farther into this whole question of whether it's okay to be doubters and whether we ought instead to be sure we are believers. So when the one disciple said, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands where the, the nails were and, and where the spear was. So Jesus shows up to him and he says, okay, do you want to feel the wounds? Um, but then what Jesus says is this, so here you are, because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen, but believe. Right. So that, that's all of us. And we are all in sort of, of the quandary of saying, how do you know for sure? Because, well, man, if we had been there and had actually seen him alive after his death, burial, and resurrection, we'd be just fine. We'd be signing on. And yet we've just heard that there were some who said, hmm, we're still doubtful. So Jesus says, so the thing that has currency is not that you can prove my physical resurrection. The thing that has currency is that you believe. 
and you're a blessed person if you believe even if you haven't seen. So talk to one another about what it is that a person does when he or she believes not having seen something. That's a clumsy question, right? But what are we, what are we being called blessed for if we show up and say, I, I believe. I can't prove it scientifically. I can't see, touch, taste, you know, but I believe it. What kind of a statement is that? I believe it. Um, and when you tell someone that you believe in God, what is it you're saying to them? What does it mean to believe in God? Maybe we can make a sentence out of it. I believe that God, finish the sentence, okay? So talk to your friends again. They're your new friends if they weren't before. I believe that God, finish that sentence for me. All right, finish the sentence for me, will you? I believe that God, I believe that God, makes himself known by some magic moments in your life. All right. That's something to talk about. She said, I believe that God makes himself known by some magic moment in your life. Right. Somebody else. I believe that God is. And now you're going to quote scripture at me. Yes. That he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Interesting. Josephine. Okay. Okay. I believe that God has put a hunger in every human heart for him. Okay. All right. What else? I believe that. Okay, that the Spirit of God witnesses with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay. So you see why my problem residing in this question is a silly problem to have. So my problem is why doesn't God just show up and prove his existence? Um, why is that a silly problem for me to have? Because he does. Because he does. How? Oh, the magic moment. He answers prayers, okay. But why doesn't he just come and meet me? So here's, here's where I want to sort of spin this out. In, in Hebrews, we're told this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Does that make sense? You can say no. It does? So faith, what is faith? Faith is some commodity that yields an ability for me to be sure of what I'm hoping for and certain of what I can't see. Give me another example in the world of something that I am 
sure and certain about um, that I can't see it yet. Okay. Okay. Faith is getting on a bus and believing that what it says on the front of the bus is where you're going to go. Has anybody ever gotten on the wrong bus? <laughs> no. No, but you have faith, right? You have faith that it's been thought about, the driver knows, the conductor knows. Okay. Another example of where we use this kind of gravity. Okay, so you believed this morning when you get out of bed, you wouldn't float to the ceiling. Because it was, it was so yesterday, you think it'll be so tomorrow as well. So gravity is something that we believe exists. It makes sense to us. Um, we've got some experience when people go to the moon, and we were right that gravity is something that is related to all kinds of other things because when we go to some place where we think it's not going to be like that, it turns out we're right, right? So gravity is a good example, yeah? Any others? So how do we know God exists? We know God exists by faith. And what kind of knowledge is faith? If, if you were to score sensory knowledge against faith knowledge on a scale of 1 to 10, where does each of them fall? Sensory knowledge. So knowledge based on I can touch it, I can smell it. That's one kind of knowledge. That's sensory knowledge, 1 to 10. Are you ever wrong on sensory knowledge? Sometimes. Yeah. You might you think you're smelling something. It's not actually there. Yeah. Sub it, okay. Good. Subjective. Does anybody smell toast at random, random times? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Or bacon. Okay. Faith knowledge, where, where are you going to put that on a scale of 1 to 10? No numbers? Yeah, what are the criteria? Yeah. 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 It's a decision? Okay. Okay. So, so the thing is, if I'm going down the rabbit trail of proving God's existence, God says, just let me interrupt for a minute. You can be sure of my existence, not because I prove it to you in time and space, but because you, you know it by faith. And if you use faith as the means by which you arrive at being certain, you will be sure of what you're hoping for and certain of what you can't see yet. This is what the ancients were commended for. So my, my troubling question, why doesn't God prove his existence? God says, I have proved my existence. You will only be able to know that my existence is real 
if you exercise faith. But th that sounds like a bit of hogwash for people around us, right? If, if I say to them, well, you know what? Uh, I can't actually prove God to you. I can't show you God. But if you believe in God, you will know he's there. Josephine. So I give you an Irish Catholic <laughs> who says she knows God exists for sure because when she met him, when she was converted, when she was saved, she knew beyond all shadow of a doubt. It was a magic moment. Um, and how, how many people would say, I, I think I can give testimony to that, that there was an actual time when something happened to me, and I think it, that was when I was saved, or whatever term you use. How many people would say, yeah, I experienced that? How many people would say, I, there, there wasn't an exact time. Um, I I've maybe had a period of time during which I think I was becoming a Christian, or maybe I've always kind of thought Christian ways, but I, I can't nail a time down. How many people would say, yeah, it's, it's a bit harder for me to nail down a time? Yeah, good. The question really, and this is getting ahead of ourselves, is do you have the, the posture now that you can look back and say, somehow or other, I once was lost and now I'm, I'm found. I, I once was not a God-knower, and now I am a God-knower. Something has happened to me. So I, I, I think this actually... For for me, this has a lot of currency. That it's it's because I I just get locked away in my head, and so in my head sometimes I'll think, well, what if there's no God? Like, take that to its logical conclusion, and in some some ways I I kind of feel like, well, that might be better if there was no God, because uh, then we don't have all the other problems. It's just us that made this mess, or maybe when life is over. Some of the sad implications of the existence of God about what happens after, we don't have to, to deal with. But, but none of that is satisfying to me. I still, I, I believe I do have something in me that was born in me that is, is God searching. And it's, again, it's C.S. Lewis's, you know, nostalgia, his, his longing. Um, and it seems like most, most, literature and, and poetry is, is kind of founded on this human longing, wanting something. And it, evolution doesn't explain that to me. It, it, I don't know how that evolves into something from nothing. So the existence of God makes some sense. What I want to do is just make a few um, proposals about where we go with this searching for the knowledge of God's existence. So here's in, in Romans um, something that I think summarizes some of the comments we've had today. What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So this is Paul's um, legal argument. He's saying, um, those who dispute God's existence, um, who say there's no God, and, and all the rest, he, he kind of teams up with the psalmist, and he says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. And Paul says, yeah, that's right. It's a fool who says that, because you know God 
clearly by what you have seen. It, what God has created has told you things about him that are actual proof of his existence. So what he talks about is God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, and he claims that they are visible in nature. So let's talk about that. Give me some examples of how God's, not just his existence, but actually his being is displayed to us by nature. His invisible qualities, those being his eternal power and his divine nature, how are they clearly seen by what has been made? Give me an example of how we see God's nature, his power, his character in in what has been made. Not just that he exists, so we could argue that he exists on the basis of beauty. Um, where do we get this sense of beauty that we can look at nature and say that's beautiful? Well, that's beautiful because a beautiful being has created that. But Paul's going way deeper and farther than that. He says things about his, his nature are displayed to you in creation. So what are they? The birth of a child. The birth of a child. Yeah. And it was a guy that said that. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Okay. The community of animals, right? Speaking about his community himself and his community with us. Yeah. Cats don't um, travel together. No. Just saying. Yeah. Run. How long are you gonna hold it for? I was uh, <clears throat> asked to speak to a group of about 50 people to make a decision about something that affected the lives of thousands of people. So I got down on my knees in the washroom to pray before I went into the meeting. And uh, I arrived at the meeting and somebody came to me and said, hey, we've decided to do it before I talked. <laughs> you weren't necessary. Or apparently you were very necessary because you had the right conversation before the big one. Good. Other examples of what we see that now we realize is profound because it's a reflection of God's nature. Yeah. The way the body works. So as you manipulate muscles and bones, right? So how the, how the human body works is is astonishing. What, sometimes I worry that I'll stop breathing, but I keep breathing anyway. I I do actually stop breathing sometimes. It's an issue. <laughs> yeah, Anne. So a fertility specialist saying we don't know how this works. Right. So it's always good when when doctors admit they don't know the answer. Right. I visited a lady. A long time ago in the cancer clinic and she had a really good outcome which isn't the case for for many people but she did and this doctor his name was dr phillips and he was a he was a world-renowned cancer specialist um he redesigned the whole uh, operating suite in vancouver general hospital towards the in the right kind of air so that when they did bone marrow transplants that the person was 
pretty clear of anything that was going to intrude, right? So she, she did really well. So when the doctor came to tell her that things had gone well, you know, over the course of her treatment, um, she said, thank God. And, and the doctor said, don't thank God, thank me. And she gave him a little talk. <laughs> right? She said, doctor, you watch yourself. You watch yourself saying things like that. So he was properly schooled, right? So, yeah. Sylvie. Yeah. Okay. How do you, how do you explain that people care, right? And sometimes you really look, you look for a reason about why they care, and there's no reason except apparent goodness and kindness and where does that appear from, right? So some people may do it because they get something back. That's my mind working and saying, hmm, wonder why she did that. But some people you can't explain away. You can't say why they're genuinely kind, except that's a quality that has been shown somewhere and has been bred in some way or, somewhere or other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The way parents nurture their children is a window into God's nurturing nature. All right. The, the grandeur of the mountains. Yeah. Explain the Canadian Rockies apart from God. Well, maybe they happen with an ice age. Who made the ice? Right? Who made the ice move? And why didn't it move in such creative ways? And my goodness, the Rockies are... So I grew up in Ireland where the highest mountain is maybe 3,000 feet. Like if you climb it, you put a rock on the top because you've done, a, you've done something amazing. And we, we were driving from Vancouver to Calgary through the Rockies. First time I ever saw the Rockies. Side story is we were youth pastors and taking a group of high schoolers um, to Three Hills, Alberta, for a retreat. And we got stuck in the Rogers Pass. And we lost some of our kids. Now, it's not a good thing to be phoning home and telling parents that you lost their kids. Even worse, we found them again. <laughs> no, no, no. Because th they were bumper skiing behind semis on the highway. Tell the parents that you're a good youth pastor if that's what happens, right? So anyway, anyway, totally aside. Yes, we can. Yep. So we join with David and read the Psalms and say, yep, absolutely. Look into the sky. And uh, I remember the first time I ever saw the southern sky and the southern cross. And totally different. Not the same constellations at all. It's and it's just as amazing, just as gorgeous. So physic, there may be physical explanation, but the beauty of it, the grandeur of it, and, and the observer of it, could it be that all this was made just to be seen by my eyes, sleeping at last? So here are some conclusions that I come to, and this is important for me to come to when I get lost in my little head, thinking, why doesn't God just show up and prove himself? 
Actually, compelling evidence of God's existence may not compel a doubting mind. And for me, that's why God's not proving himself, because he already did the, the way we're asking him to. Right? That's what Jesus did. You, you want to see God? Um, well, okay. You've heard me tell you that I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm, I'm here. I have come in bodily form in flesh. I have died. Now I'm risen from the dead. And I'm still right here before you with flesh and bones telling you that I'm God. Who else could have pulled this off? And you guys are supposed to be my friends, and so I noticed that three of you didn't worship in the songs this morning, or however many it was. Three of you were doubting. How can you, well, could you just prove? And Jesus might have just retorted, no. I, I have proven God's existence and my existence. There is a God, and I am he. So what are you going to do with that? Well, you're required to exercise faith. Is there some ground for this faith? Absolutely. Everywhere you look in nature, everywhere you look in, in humanness, um, everywhere you, you look for beauty and all these things, they're all, these witnesses, they're all stepping up, saying God is, and he's a rewarder of those who chase after him, who look for him. So compelling evidence of God's existence may not compel a doubting mind. If, if I'm disposed to doubt God's existence, I will find reasons to doubt that he exists. Uh, maybe he, he didn't deal me a good hand, and so I, I, I reject his existence. If he really exists, why in the song could he not stop the car from crashing? Right. So I have to get to that question. If, if God exists, what kind of a God is it who exists? Uh, is he able? Uh, these days around the world, um, people of other faiths aren't asking the question, does God exist? As much as they're asking the question, can God do anything? So Muslims are asking, does, does God heal? And Many times, how God is appearing to those of other faiths is by dreams and visions and miracles and healings and so on. So it's a very interesting time that we're living in. The second observation that helps me is that God claims he has provided compelling evidence of his existence. So the problem is not God. The problem is not that we are looking you know, with, with no purpose or, or no result at everything around us and saying, no, there's nothing indicates to me that there's a God. We, we would have to agree with one another that, well, actually, there's a lot that seems to, to argue for God's existence. The thing that we need to talk about is what God is it that you don't believe in, right? Um, because that, we need to have some conversation there. Uh, is the God that you believe in like this? Oh, I don't think that God exists either. But the, the God of history, the God of the, the story record of the Bible is the God we should talk about. 
The last thing is that faith provides more certainty of God's existence than evidence. And so thank, thank you for joining me on my journey because I think a lot of you were already there and I just keep going back and tripping up another time and saying, am I sure? <laughs>